0: Hey, what you're about to listen to is the podcast version of what was a live radio segment on KPFA. Consequently, when you hear us give out a call-in number, you don't want to call it. If you're listening to this as a podcast, it is already too late, and nobody on the other end of that phone number is going to have any useful answers for you. You can, however, send in a question for our next episode by shooting an email to upfront at kpfa.org. You can also tune in for the next edition live and ask your question over the phone then. We normally are Monday mornings on KPFA, just after 7.30 news headlines. All right, let's go to this week's Corona Calls. We're going to turn, as we do most weeks at this time, to new developments in the world of COVID-19. It's a segment we call Corona Calls. And our guest most weeks is Dr. John Swartzberg, Clinical Professor Emeritus of Infectious Diseases at UC Berkeley's School of Public Health. Good morning, Dr. Swartzberg. Good morning. I want to talk about the subvariant that has been making headlines uh, since the last time we spoke. Uh, It is dubbed B.2.86, or to people who make nicknames for viruses because they don't like alphanumeric sequences, it is being called Parola. That is not an official designation. Um, what, what are the attributes that have the public health world so concerned about this particular subvariant?
1: Yeah, the attribute right now is certainly not that this virus is spreading widely in, around the world. Um, we haven't isolated very many people who have had this. That's the good news. But what's making people alarmed in spite of that is the fact that it has quite a few new mutations that we haven't seen um, 30 and counting uh, mutations that all potentially are involved in immune evasion and transmission. And these qualities are very different than in any of the currently uh, designated Omicron subvariants is what's alarming people, the potential that this could take off. I've been thinking a lot about this, and it, it's impossible to know what, what it means for um, 286 in terms of what it's going to mean for us. It's certainly right, and I think appropriate, that we're very concerned in trying to understand this as quickly uh, as we can. On the other hand, it's not really a reason for anybody to be panicking that this is going to be like December 1st of 2021 when Omicron came to the United States and within less than a month, in three weeks, it had exploded. Um, we're certainly not seeing that at this point.
0: It is in multiple Places though. Um, This is not just like one isolated incidence of a freakishly mutated virus. It's been collected, as I understand it, in Israel, in Denmark, in the United Kingdom, in South Africa, in the United States, and in at least a wastewater sample, not in a collection from a patient in Switzerland. Right.
1: And we've actually found it in wastewater here. It's clearly a virus that has spread throughout the world. Um, It appears to be sufficiently a a sufficient fit for infecting us that it's finding hosts. Again, it's, you know, I I think we have to be humble with, with this whole thing with COVID in that we just don't know enough about how this virus behaves to really say that there's a a one-to-one correlation between all of these mutations and what this virus is going to do. All of these mutations suggest that it has the potential to really um, create a whole new wave and perhaps become pi right after Omicron, a brand-new variant. Um, but we've seen other viruses, uh, variants and subvariants variants of um, Omicron and, and just of SARS-CoV-2 that seem to have potential to cause havoc and haven't. So I think that, again, we just have to be humble and say that there's, there are qualities with this, this particular virus that are really disturbing. We need to follow it very closely. We need to understand it as best we can um, and hope that in spite of what we're seeing, that it's not going to take off and cause a whole new major wave. Um, it very well could. We just don't know.
0: Could you walk us through the the math of spread um, if it is indeed an omicron like event um, something that causes a big wave because of its ability to escape the immune response we already have, like on what time frame would we expect to see a, a surge in cases?
1: Well, I've been thinking about again going back to um, Omicron. It was first identified in South uh, in South Africa, uh, in the South African region of the of the continent, and that was in November of 2021, very early November of 2021, and very quickly, within about two weeks, um, it was clear that this virus was had spread very widely and was spreading very widely, and then, as I mentioned before, within two weeks after that. The first isolate was here in the United States, and within three weeks, um, we had a major problem on our hands here. Um, it finally peaked it, toward the end of January, so in less than two months, um, it had it, it just, um, frankly, it had devastated um, uh, people in our country. So that was the time course for that brand-new virus that possessed qualities that allowed it to transmit very, very efficiently much more efficiently than anything we had previously seen. So if we take uh, BA uh, 286 and say, how is this behaving in concert with what we saw at the end of 2021 with Omicron? Well, we've known about this, we're going into our third plus week of knowing about this virus. And, as you said, it's very disturbing that it's been found independently in multiple places around this planet in humans. And that's, uh, that's certainly of concern, um, but it does not appear to have exploded uh, like Omicron has done. Um, again, it's early, and I think that we'll have a much better perspective on how this virus is gonna behave in three more weeks. Uh, every week we're going to have a better perspective, but I think it's going to take three to four weeks to really have a sense as to what this virus is going to do. So that's the best I can do to sort of glean from our history now um, how this vir- this particularly new virus is going to behave.
0: Right. And then the other question we always have with new subvariants is how severe the illness is that it causes, the, the virulence. So I understand the the concerns about transmissibility are coming from people kind of sizing up the genetic sequence of BA.2.86 and saying, well, it's got all these mutations in the parts of the virus that the antibodies we know about target. We expect it to be able to evade immunity. Is there any kind of comparable educated guesswork about what mutations make a coronavirus uh, more of a threat to the people who get infected with it?
1: There really isn't. Um, you know, we were very lucky with Omicron that in spite of its phenomenal increased ability to transmit, really approaching, if not equaling, measles, which is the most transmissible virus that uh, respiratory virus that we know, um, Omicron turned out to be certainly less virulent than Delta, its predecessor, and perhaps less virulent than some of Delta's predecessors. So that was very fortunate. What qualities Omicron had to make it less virulent or unclear, and going back before that, it was the summer of 2021 when Delta um, raised its ugly head up, and Delta was much more virulent. That is, it made people much sicker. And what qualities that particular um, strain had, particular new um, variant of, Omicron, of um, SARS-CoV-2, is not entirely clear. So looking at BA.2.86 and asking that question about it, all we can really say is that in the people who have had it, there's nothing to suggest that it is behaving more virulently. Now, the problem with that statement is that our denominator at this point is very small. That is how many people have had it. And so we don't have a sufficient sample to really stand on firm ground when we say that there's nothing about this new virus that is gonna make us sicker. Again, we need more time to observe it.
0: To Dr. John Swartzberg, Clinical Professor Emeritus of Infectious Diseases at UC Berkeley School of Public Health, and he's here to answer your questions. Uh, the phone number 1-800-958-9008 for your corona calls, 1-800-958-9008. Um, I, I guess the final question I'll ask while uh, people are getting onto the phone lines, Dr. Swartzberg, is what this means about the forthcoming booster campaign as anticipated to start next month. Uh, this booster was developing targeting the the subvariant BA five. Uh, that, that's a couple subvariants back now. Um, it, it, is there likely to be a big mismatch between what's in the syringe and what we're actually facing in the wild?
1: That's of concern. Um, we, the answer, the answer, the pithy answer to your question is we don't know. Um, if we look at the evolution, as you were just saying, it it is it is not very. It's diverged quite a bit from what this vaccine is going to cover. If we look at last Friday, um, when the CDC published its weekly data on what subvariants are playing a role in, in infecting people right now, um, it's this, this isn't even on the page to speak of. Um, it's a, a virus that uh, it's a subvariant that is very closely related to what's covered in our in our new vaccine that will be coming out within a month. Um, so that we're very encouraged about. The second in line um, uh, also is fairly closely related to what will be covered in our vaccine, so that's very encouraging. So the two leaders in this horse race of uh, Omicron subvariants should be covered very, very well with, this, with the vaccine that will be coming out. BA.2.86, 2. 286, is, um, as, as we've been discussing, not nearly as related as, as these other two. And how well this booster will work is has a big question mark associated with it. I think that um, while saying all of this, I, I think the bottom line is that for those people who are at higher risk of a bad outcome, please be sure to get this new booster when it comes out. Uh, because it is going to offer protection against the two leading subvariants that are causing disease today and several others. Um, it'll even have a better match to many of the others, although they're a smaller percentage. Um, don't say, well, it's not going to work against point two point eight six and therefore I'm not going to get it. That would not, not be a wise decision. It likely will certainly give it not only likely it certainly will give us some coverage against this uh how well it how well the coverage is going to be we just don't know
0: yeah i guess that's a good point protection is not not binary um it's not a question of if the vaccines help it's how much they help as a uh, interesting paper that just circulated in nature called evidence of leaky protection following COVID 19 vaccination uh saying you know vaccination is not enough to protect you from getting COVID, but vaccination plus keeping the amount of virus in the air you breathe low, whether that's through masking, filtration, or distancing, or all three is. And it was a study based on looking at spread in prisons in Connecticut based, uh, where where prisoners were tested very frequently and at regularly intervals, uh, just based on the position of their cells to one another. They knew who'd been vaccinated. They knew how close they were to other cases and they could isolate the protection you had from vaccination plus a few cells distance versus vaccination alone or distance alone.
1: Yeah, I'm really glad you mentioned that study because I thought it was very interesting. There were some problems with it, but it was a very good study to remind us that these vaccines, while they don't protect us very well against getting infected and getting mild to moderate disease, they do do a very good job against protecting us protecting us against getting very sick, which is really the key thing here. And then the amount of virus you get exposed to, the dose makes the poison, something that we've been saying for hundreds of years. Uh, The dose makes the poison. And if you can have a smaller inoculum of this virus when you get infected, your immune system is going to have a better chance of, of getting a hold of it and preventing you from getting very ill. So we have a lot that we... that uh, not only the vaccines offer, but our behavior offers in terms of protecting us.
0: Okay, um, I've been keeping some of our loyal callers on the phone lines for far too long. It's one eight hundred nine five eight nine zero zero eight for your Corona calls. Uh, first up, we are going to go to Rhonda, who is in, looks like San Diego. Good morning, Rhonda. Oops. Okay, we just got um, Rhonda through. Good morning, Ronda. What's your question? Good morning. Good morning, everybody.
1: How are you? Um, I'm uh, going. We, we live in San Diego, obviously, but then um, we're going in the twenty on the in three weeks. We're going to uh, Italy for a destination wedding for my daughter, and she lives in Amsterdam, and everybody's gonna be coming to Italy for the, from all over the world. And I'm very concerned about uh, our exposure to the new variant. Um, and I'm not sure what what to which booster to take right now. I mean, I don't have a choice, of course. Um, so, what does the doctor recommend? Um, I'm also concerned about her. <laughs> I don't know if she would listen to my advice, but
0: sure, well, Dr. Swartzberg, We've we've had a lot of emails just asking about travel precautions more generally. So uh, maybe maybe we can tackle that part of the question.
1: Sure, Um, we're in this betwixt and between time now where the new vaccine is going to be coming out soon. Um, Yet we're also at a position where it's been a minimum of about six months for most people who are at higher risk since they've had their last booster. And for most people, it's been a year. And for a lot of people, it's been even more than that. So there's been a, our immunity in the population has been waning, and we're really waiting for this new booster to come out and give us the protection going into the fall. Um, that's the dilemma we're in right now. And for Rondon specifically and for others who are going to be in higher-risk situations, um, what strategy should we be doing? Well, um, the CDC is going to be meeting on the 12th of September, and they're going to uh, give the stamp of approval at that point after the FDA does, and so the vaccine should be coming out within the next week or so after that, which unfortunately for Rhonda and for those people traveling uh, in the middle to later September, uh, it's unlikely they're going to have access to it. But if If it does come out sooner or if if it fits with your timing, get it before you travel, even though it will take a minimum of about a week to give you protection, it'll still give you the protection you need after you've been there a week or so. Uh, Optimal protection occurs probably, we think in about two weeks after you've been uh, vaccinated. So that's one thing to do. The other thing you could do if it's been a long time since you had a booster would be to get the old booster. But the problem with that is then you won't really want to get the new booster for at least four months after that. And so there'll be a period of time when you're not going to have as optimal a coverage as you'd like. So there's no good answer for this next roughly four to six week period of time for people traveling Um, in terms of vaccines. There certainly is a good answer in terms of doing the things that we know offer very significant protection and that of goes back to the very basic things we've been talking about in terms of personal protection. Wearing a really good mask, an N95, a KN95. Um, but wearing it, wearing it in the airport, wearing it on the airplane, and that's a long time to be wearing it. It's traveling internationally. Uh, but those things, I think, are really important for those people at higher risk or for anybody who doesn't want to get infected. Um, avoiding really crowded places. And when you're indoors wearing a mask when you can, those, those are some things that are going to offer you considerable protection. So not great strategies for the next several weeks, but after that, uh, that vaccine, be sure to get it.
0: Um, you've also spoken before about the, the possibility, Dr. Swartzberg, of getting a Paxlovid prescription filled before you travel. Uh, I don't know what access is like to the drug, in Italy, but I'm looking at an email that was sent in a short time ago by one of our listeners named Bill, wrote a rather lengthy account of his family's trip to Mexico, where a family member came down with COVID, uh, was not able to get Paxlovid there, and had the COVID convert to pneumonia so bad that the family member couldn't fly back to San Francisco until they stabilized, which thankfully they eventually did.
1: Well, Brian, that's a critical point. I should have mentioned it. Um, I think if you're traveling in the United States, the access to Paxlovid should be very good, regardless of where you are. Uh, if you're traveling internationally, I would definitely, if you're at higher risk, I would definitely a prescription of paxlovid with you that's something we couldn't do before paxlovid received its formal approval but now that it's been formally approved doctors can prescribe this drug for you even without having even if you don't have COVID at this point so i would have your physician give you a prescription Pick up a prescription for Paxlovid, take it with you, make sure that you've gone over with your physician and the pharmacist exactly what other drugs you're taking, and what you'd need to do with those drugs if you do get COVID, but you'd have it as, and avoid the difficulty you might encounter traveling internationally of getting, getting this medication.
0: All right. Let's try to bring another caller in. Uh, Kevin is on the line from koalinga Good morning, Kevin.
1: Good morning. I was just curious state hospital uh, 50 man units and they'll quarantine a unit if uh, someone tests positive. Now it's it seems odd to me that we're at the four man dorms close quarters. Most people not wearing masks but only rarely does someone test positive but they'll test uh, maybe every other day and then another person tests positive and he gets put to a quarantine unit and then a couple more days. Someone else, but out of the fifty, there's only been like in three weeks four people test positive.
0: Kevin, you're you're in Pleasant Valley State Prison.
1: No, no, it's Coalinga State Hospital.
0: Coalinga State, State Hospital. hospital excuse me. Yeah, okay. well,
1: um, Kevin, we've. Uh, I'm glad to hear that it hasn't spread widely. Um, when when somebody has COVID, who's in a hospital. Um, the, you need to be in isolation, and you need to be in isolation um, for a minimum of five days. And then, if you're asymptomatic at that point, I th- I think it's a good idea to then test on the sixth day before you come out of isolation. And for the next five days, that is through ten days and total,ly you need to be in you need to be wearing a mask. So that's what should be done to help protect spread. And we we are very assiduous about doing this in hospitals to protect the virus from spreading. Unfortunately, um, I've been speaking with hospitals that um, aren't having that good of an experience. Um, a hospital up in Marin County has actually gone back to um, insisting that all the healthcare workers, doctors, nurses, etc., who have contact with patients wear a good mask when they're working with patients to help spread this virus. And uh, I think. I, th- I personally think that that would be a good policy for all the hospitals to be doing because we know how fast this virus can spread. So I'm glad that where you are, it hasn't spread widely. Isolation remains an incredibly valuable tool.
0: Good luck, Kevin. And thank you for, for calling us from from the hospital to let us know about uh, what you're seeing and what you're experiencing. Dr. Swartzberg. Uh, wish we had more time for all the callers who are on our lines right now, but the the clock is a cruel taskmaster. Thank you so much for spending another Monday with us. You're welcome. Thank you very much, Brian. All right, that does it for this week's edition of Corona Calls. If you want to send in a question for the next one, you can shoot an email anytime to upfront at kpfa.org. Or you can tune in live. We normally broadcast Mondays just after 7.30 news headlines on KPFA we put a little bit of extra work into repackaging this live segment as a podcast because it feels like the information is useful to a lot of people. We ought to make it accessible through as many channels as possible. You can help us get the word out by rating and reviewing it in whatever app you're using to listen. And if you want to pitch in some cash, we wouldn't say no. We always take donations at kpfa.org. I appreciate it if you mentioned Corona calls when you make your pledge. My name is Brian Edwards-Teagert. I hope you have a great week. Stay well.